I'm recording this on a Tuesday. I'm actually getting this, this intro out a few minutes before the episode goes live. And so I hope you are having a wonderful day. And I hope your podcast is, is growing. I hope that you are, are seeing some traction. You know, this is the show to help you get there. If you're not seeing traction, then hopefully this show will help you get that. Go through the archive. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I've spent much of the last decade trying to figure out how to grow and sustain a successful podcast. And this show is here to give you hopefully everything that you need to go out and create a successful show. And if I'm not bringing you the insights and the wisdom, I'm going to go out and find the people who can bring it to you. And today we're talking with Anna Gogo, and she's someone who came on to our podcast AMA expert Q&A a few months ago. And this has sat in the archives for a little while, but it has sat in there for too long. This is some really good stuff on monetizing a show. And she is the founder of Black Pod Festival. She has her own podcast studio in Atlanta. She hosts the Podcast Trapper. And she also has her own production company. I just, I really feel like she's someone who has found a way to monetize this whole podcast thing. And I couldn't think of a better person to bring that to you. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode with the wonderful Misana Gogo. So just to give some context, this is actually the last and final um, of our Q&A sessions. We've been doing a, what we called, perhaps misnamed, a boot camp uh, to help people take their podcast to the next level. And today's session um, finished around monetization. That was week eight was talking about monetizing a podcast. And I thought that you would be a great guest because you seem like someone who um, has found a way to take podcasting and make money with it in a variety of different capacities. You know, you've got, um, you've got Black uh, Pod Collective, you've got Black Pod uh, Festival, you've got, I think it's called Adobe Media, you've got your own production studio, your own, um, your own production house, you have your own show, the podcast trapper. And so I know that you have found a way to, to make, you know, you found a way to make money podcasting. And so uh, I couldn't think of really a better guest to come and speak into the, you know, give the variety of different, um, you know, ways that, that you can do that. So with all that being said, I'd love for you to fill in any gaps and any, um, you know, background or history that you think might be relevant to that. And uh, I've got some questions and then we'll just kind of open up to the group and course it's recording for for all the rest of the members most definitely well first and foremost thank you so much for having me um i feel like you summarized it quite well um my background is oddly not in podcasting in any way shape or form or radio or anything like that i actually have a background in healthcare um worked in healthcare um, revenue management for almost 10 years and made the pivot over into podcasting in 2019 and it's really just taken off from there and now I work in podcasting full time. So um, what kicked all of this off is Black Pod Collective, which is a digital community for Black audio creatives. Then um, that was in 2019, I launched that. Then 2020, I launched Black Pod Festival, which is a two-day conference for Black audio creatives. Um, and then in 2021, I launched Adote Media, which is a full-service podcast production agency. And um, we opened a studio in October of that same year, which um, pretty much we do everything from video, audio, um, graphics, the full shebang. So it's a one-stop shop resource. And I recently launched the Podcast Trapper, which is my podcast talking about the podcast industry, podcast space my experiences and things that I see that works, doesn't work, um, have a few of my clients who are joining with their success stories, things that they've been able to do to um, utilize a podcast to like build their brand, grow their business, so on and so forth. Yeah. What, what made you decide? I hear a lot, you know, because people ask, um, you know, do you think podcast is going to be around in, you know, a little bit? And I think that they say that because they're like, they know that I'm like in podcasting and that's my job. And so they're like, it's kind of like that grandma saying like, are you sure about, you know, shouldn't you go back to you know, school or you know, that kind of thing? Um, I'm curious if you, if you run into any of that and then just how you look at the, you know, like why you chose to, to stake your claim here as opposed to, you know, any of the other industries that you, you might've been able to pursue with your passion. Um. 
Honestly, so first part of that is I don't think podcasting is going anywhere. Um, like today, I went and worked for my local library because every so often I need a change of scenery. And I see that they've recently expanded and they have a podcast studio in the library. They also have a video content studio in there now. And so these companies, platforms that are investing in it, um, lets me know that the longevity is there. I think it's going to continue to grow as a trusted media outlet and not just this thing where um, people just do to do. Um, I think podcasting is now kind of seeing as the easy entry. So for example, whereas, think about it, like, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, the Red Table talk that has uh, Will Smith's wife, um, Jada Pinkett Smith, she started off as a Facebook Live and then she got picked up and all of these things. Um, people who started off on YouTube now have whole platforms. I see podcasting kind of being that same similar thing. It's giving people an opportunity to get their voice out there, share their stories without it, without having to go through the gatekeepers. That's really what this is turning to. I, I see more gatekeepers being nervous about podcasting, hence why they've decided to adopt it a little bit more. Um, so whereas in the past you needed to, you know, go to school for communication, then have a radio um, internship and all of these things. Now, if you can tell a good story and captivate an audience, you can really start a podcast and grow from there. So that's on the, do I see it going anywhere? No. Why I decided podcasting, honestly, it wasn't by choice. Um, I initially was laid off from my full-time job in corporate and I had a severance package and like had a year to really just think about what I wanted to do. I initially started a podcast with the intent of meeting other women who had left corporate America and really to glean from them like what they had decided to do, what they had learned. And in the process of starting a podcast to figure out what was next for me, and realizing that podcasting was what was next for me because I just enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed hearing people tell their story and really that art of storytelling of just the passion and being able to formalize that in a way that connected with an audience. Yeah. I think a lot of people, they see podcasting and they think that the, the way to monetization is through sponsorships, advertising. And, and of course there is that route. But I think that you you seem to have taken a little bit of a different approach, you know, events, you have your own show, you know, you own property, I know. So how do you, what are some, are there any different ways about thinking about monetization or, or do you think about it differently than just how many sponsors can you get to pay you the, the highest CPM? Is that, is that something that crosses your mind? Yes. So I never really focused on the CPM route because to me, like there's two things that I never liked. Doing. One is affiliate marketing. The reason for that is I've now given you brand awareness. And to me, brand awareness should cost money. So for example, like when you think of the Super Bowl, people aren't clicking on that immediately and heading right to that to make those purchases. They're placing ads in the Super Bowl for the access, for the reach. That's why affiliate marketing was never really something that I really wanted to dive into. I know a lot of creatives, they start off in that route. But for me, it's like, well, I may have told you about it several times, but if you don't come back and utilize my link, then I'm not really getting anything from this. So I've helped you with brand awareness and given reach. And now when somebody needs it, they're not going to think to come back to my show notes or my website. They're just going to go to your website. So that's kind of always been my mindset. And so for me, looking at monetization, I recognize that if people really want something, they invest in it. Like you invest your money in things that you want. So out the gate, one of the first things was events, but also was um, membership. So the Patreon model wasn't that big back then um, when I launched Black Pot Collective. But for me, it was like, you know, initially it was just an Instagram page and then the community kept asking for more. And so for me, it was like, well, if you guys want more, you have to invest in order to get that. So our membership starts at what, $5 and goes all the way up to $20. But when you add that up over 500 people, that starts to add up and it allows for us to do a lot more. And so what I typically tell people is if your listeners are really like enjoying the content that you're putting out there, 
I think we have to get away from this pride of not wanting to ask. Let them know that, hey, this is how much it costs to do this. This is how much it costs to bring this to life. And if they genuinely enjoy your content, they'll invest in that. So for me, that's that was model number one out the gate. And I don't think a lot of creatives think about that enough. We're often just looking for the big companies, but big companies are typically not focused on smaller creatives. And then the other route would be um, local businesses. I don't think we focus on local businesses enough. Um, and so for me, that that was the thing. And for local businesses, think about it. If you have a new dry cleaner or a new hair salon, something of that nature opening in your neighborhood, to them, 50 people, 100 people, 500 people listening, that's quite a bit. If you then add this in with your social media, your newsletter, and create a package for them, that's something that's much more lucrative for a new business owner who may not really know how to get their uh, message out there, how to indicate that they have an opening. And so out the gate, I started off with partnering with local businesses here in Atlanta. And some of it was like, you know, they allowed us to utilize their space. So before I had my own studio, I worked out of a podcast studio for free. Um, I worked out of a co-working space for free. We held our events in different Black-owned spaces for free. Um, and including with that, some of them actually paid us um, because of the fact that they knew that we were bringing creatives into their space, which is giving them exposure for future usage. They would just ask for the email addresses as people came in. So I think it's being more strategic in who you're working with in your area than focusing on larger brands. Yeah, this is fantastic. So um, I'd love for you to expand on the Patreon model. And, and can you can you talk a little bit about the do's and don'ts of that? Because I think that that's something I, that I think is closer for a lot of people than most creators, most, most podcasters would realize. Um, so let's start off with the do's. You always want to first find out what your audience wants. Um, I think oftentimes I see a lot of creators who are just creating in a silo in, in essence. They're seeing what other people are doing with their Patreon and they're just trying to replicate that. And so versus trying to say, okay, well, I'll give you behind the scenes content, video content, um, a sticker, um, a shout out. First, find out what would cost somebody to invest money. So asking that audience, um, I say, once you get to a point to where your audience is able to interact with you and they're actively interacting, then they're ready to invest. I know some people who are like, well, my listeners, when I play something on social, they don't respond. They don't do this. Incentivize it. And so for, for me, what I tell a lot of clients as well as people in my community is if somebody places a comment indicating, oh, I really love that episode or um, I love when you said this, that, and a third, immediately send them a DM. Um, you want to send a DM saying, thank you so much. Really appreciate that you're an avid listener. Would you be open to being in a focus group? I don't think we tap into focus groups enough. Once you get about five to six people who are willing to be in a focus group, and it's not anything super fancy, it's literally putting these five to six people in a, in a DM message together, creating it as a group, and let them know that they are basically almost like your brand ambassadors at that point. So as you have new ideas, you'll shoot them a DM and just say, hey, this is something I'm thinking of doing. What are your thoughts? From there, you would be very surprised. One, um, they kind of turn into your biggest spokespeople. Like with Black Pod Collective, I probably have like 50 people who some of them aren't even members, but they do a really great job of including us in their newsletter, putting the message out there. And this is all from for four years, whenever I have new ideas, thoughts, anything like that that I want us to do, place it in a DM. They'll have conversations without me. I'm able to then look through and pick through what I think makes the most sense. So biggest advice I have for people is actually engage with your audience. Stop utilizing social media as just this billboard for listen to my podcast and this is you know a new episode. Use it as the tool to actually interact with others, like find out what they're listening to. What are some of the other shows? Um, I've even had them take surveys. I've worked with companies to give them discount to things just because of the fact that they've been helpful. So that's item one. Find out what people really want. Once you find that out, make sure it's something you can consistently do. Oftentimes, I think when we first start as creators, we're super excited. We are like gun-ho for it. And so we are ready to give the world and we don't actually plan for life. 
Like life happens and we don't always plan for life happening because when we're creating as creators, we're so excited. All of our creative juices are flowing that I think sometimes we overload ourselves and we don't think of the sustainability of it. When people are paying money on a monthly basis for something in return, the expectation is that you give them that every single month. Even if, um, I, I call it like this, if your cable provider was having a bad day and somebody died in their family and you did not have cable for a week or a month, you would expect to get your money back. Like that wouldn't be an acceptable um, reason to not have cable for a month. It's the same concept. So if you've committed to giving them something on a monthly basis, make sure it's something that is either low barrier or what they're paying is high enough to where it's not, it, you can push through. You know, I always tell people there's a dollar amount. If somebody's paying you $500, you're probably going to be like, you know what? Let me muster through it and get it done. If somebody's only doing $2, you might kind of feel like, mm, is this really a good utilization of my time? And then the third and last thing I would say to that on the con side is not planning for downtime. Um, and so along with the sustainability, it's not planning for like when you take vacation, um, when you might have a busy period at work and tapping into others within your community. So I always say like tap into other people that are either in your Patreon or in your sphere. So whether it's another show that speaks on kind of similar topics, plan ahead, you know, whether that's a calendar schedule for the year, like I do a calendar for the whole year and I'm like, okay, I know I'm taking vacation around this time. I'm going to tap into this other organization to see if they can lead our member meetup, if they can handle these pieces. And we do that vice versa. So you kind of create a partnership because there's no such thing as competition. If we're all working together, we're able to go further. Yeah, I'm going to open it up to the group in just a, a few minutes here. My my last question is, is I'd love for you to dive into this local business, you know, piece here, because I think that we definitely haven't talked about it enough. I'm selfishly interested in, in your thoughts and, and processes. And as much as you're willing to share about, you know, I think about someone like Dave, who's on our call right now, he's got, you know, he's, he's 300 episodes in and, and, you know, he, he's, he's, I would imagine that people in his neck of the woods, right, you know, would want to know him. And, and he has a really huge local opportunity. Um, and I'm sure that if you gave him a, you know, a blueprint and, and you know, told him where to go, but I, but I, we haven't talked about that. So can you, can you try and elaborate on what that blueprint might be um, for someone who might, you know, might have a, a competitive advantage or, or might have an opportunity with local businesses? Most definitely. Um, so I think it's one figuring out like who's interested in the work that you do. Um, like for example, with us back in 2019, we partnered with TEDx that came to um, TEDx Call Your Heights. We partnered with them mainly from an organizational perspective, but also to kind of like get the word out there, help them with volunteers, all of these things. And this is not like, oh, we were out there hitting the ground or anything like that. It was more so we were utilizing our email list. And so we have access to creatives and that's kind of how you, you, for your niche, you have to figure out who is it that you have access to. Um, this is also why I'm very big on ensuring that you know who your our audience is. Like you have to know who they are. Um, and small businesses and local businesses may not fully like know the numbers, downloads. They don't really care about that. They care about who you actually have access to. What this can look like is um, for us, we put together a deck of, you know, we have this amount at the time. I think we had like the first time we started doing this, we had like 2000 people in our email list. And so it's like, we have this amount of people in our email list, this amount of social media following, so on and so forth then you kind of want to find out from them. So I always tell people, don't, don't throw out your ideas, find out what is their goals? What is it that they're ho hoping to accomplish? What are they looking to do? Um, and then from there, create a package, find out what their budget is, what their current like marketing strategies are. And typically it's as simple as either walking in. I know for me, I've gone into a few spaces where it's like, Hey, you know, this is who I am. This is what I do. I would love to talk to somebody. And from there, it just kind of goes, it like, it takes off because a lot of local businesses, they don't really 
they don't really know marketing. They know what they do. And though us as creators, we may not fully understand marketing, but we understand our podcast. We understand that sphere. I want to give you some space that if you have a, a certified emergency that you need to take care of that you seem to get blown, me blown up about. I think my Uber Eats is here and I'm not. So give me one second. Yeah, yeah, no worries. I'm going to uh, reflect this back to the group a little bit and um, and just say, wow, that I think that there's so much so much opportunity here, both with the the, the Patreon model and the local business model, because I find that at least at least even in my experience, trying to get brand deals and sponsorships, it's like, who do we talk to? And are, you know, just getting in your foot in the door and just being able to get people to, to have a call with you. But for local businesses, I mean, you can walk in there, right? Especially for, for businesses that you frequent and, um, you know, businesses that you are, are regulars of or actually patrons of, um, I think huge opportunity. Matt, anything, um, anything from you that you think, uh, just reflecting here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I think I'd like to ask. I have a couple questions, but I don't know. I feel like for me, for monetization, for me, I started it and I, you know, I have my Patreon going and I I did all the things. I wanted to make sure I could add value and 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 do something that felt authentic for my show and not like trying to copy other people. The thing I have about moving forward with anything, and maybe you have some insight into this, uh, is like, how do you build maybe your your own or your client's confidence in approaching monetization? Because I feel like, I don't know, as an indie creator, you see all these big ones and you hear all, you know, these ad host read ads and you hear all these other sponsorships. And then it's like, well, I'm just this, you know? So is there anything that you could advise us, you know, as indie creators that would help us push us or at least, you know, give us incentive or, or, you know, I don't know, to kind of get us over that little hump of reaching out to brands or connecting with local businesses. Most definitely. Um, the thing I'll say, especially during this time period, is you see how a lot of these large corporations, they're in the podcasting space, have been doing a lot of layoffs. In the tech space, doing a lot of layoffs. Um, a lot of shows have been getting canceled. Um, and these are shows with large reach and large numbers. And the thing that is very different as an independent creative is that you own your show. Um, if you start looking at yourself as a media house and instead of just as a independent creator with a show, you're a media house because you are producing, you are editing, you are thinking of the content, you're working on the marketing, you're engaging. In essence, you're a media house. So if you take it out of the thought process of just being an independent creator and instead a media house who has all the control, you don't have to worry about somebody deciding tomorrow that, you know what, it's not in the budget, so they're going to cut your show. You have a lot more control as well as a lot more footprint. Um, at Black Pod Festival, SiriusXM was one of our speakers. And the thing that they said that really resonated with me is that a lot of them are taking the blueprint of what independent creators are doing and then trying to emulate it. They're trying to replicate it because of the fact that they see how it's working. The only reason that these large corporations are jumping into podcasting is because of independent creators. It's because they've seen how much success that we've had on our own. As much as, you know, however you may think of Joe Rogan, Either way, let's also stop and think of what he was able to do as an independent creator. He was able to grow a platform. And there's that that can be said many times over. The read, they were independent platform and now they have merch, they're in shops, they're like they have all these things going on. And large corporations are like, wait a minute, we're missing out on this, this niche that these independent creators are kind of dominating and they're trying to jump into it. But this is also why you see celebrities who come into the space and they have all the ads in the world. And then you see that the show is canceled because they're not able to keep an audience. So if nothing else, we should definitely be the ones leading the way because other people are not able to sustain it. Not in the same way as independent creators because of the fact that this was initially 
our stomping ground. And now other people are coming in and dropping out fairly quickly while we are resilient and we're going to keep going. And so that's the piece I want to remind you of is like, as you think of the space, think of how many celebrity podcasts don't exist anymore. You know, like think of how many people have dropped into the space and dropped out and you're still here. You're still making it work. So that's your biggest advantage is that you get to determine any of this. And that's also a selling point for large corporate, like corporations and local businesses is letting them know that I have full autonomy and control. So whatever you want to do, we can do this in partnership. So I never approach it as them sponsoring. I look at it as how can we partner together so I can help your business grow. Once you take that framework of I'm here to help your business grow, it, it, it makes the world of a difference because for them, it's like, well, that's a main focus of mine. And I don't know how to do that. If it's only 50 people, a hundred people that are learning about this, it takes them much further than where they were on their own. Yeah. I like that idea of the, the media house, especially because, you know, we take care of it all or a lot of us do, you know, and beginning to end. And I think the general public doesn't understand that. And I would imagine that small businesses locally don't understand that either and what the work that goes into it. But the autonomy part is interesting. Is there a point in your client's journey that you tell them to start thinking about it? Or is it always just like you should think about it at the beginning? Like, is there a place where you're like, oh, now it's time. It depends. So um, if they already have like a built-in audience, then out the gate, I'm like, you know, if you've already had an audience and now you're starting a podcast, then hundred um, percent. And then there's another area of where they have a business. So like, for example, um, one of our success stories, I would say is a client who there are four real estate agents who have a podcast about real estate. And so they're giving insights, tips, so on and so forth they, it's not even been a year yet. And they've, you know, hit thousands of downloads. They, they get a lot of, you know, YouTube subscribers. Um, and they've also gotten to a space to where they've gotten sponsorship that reached out to them fairly early on. Um, however, they, when they were first reaching out to bigger name sponsors, they weren't interested, but local Atlanta sponsors. So a closing attorney was their first sponsor and she sponsored like a thousand dollars an episode for five episodes. And for them, they were just like, that is not what we were going to ask for. So we're super excited for it because she doesn't know. She just was like, she knew that she wanted her brand to be in front of that because she's a new closing attorney. Um, and so they've gotten a lot more local businesses. They have some form of a drink every episode, a drink brand that is local who, you know, offered to sponsor. So in, in that regard of letting the sponsors come to you is kind of the approach we took for them. Um, but also they utilize it as a funnel for their business. So that's on one end. On the other end is looking at what do you utilize? So if you have a video element or a video component, I always tell people you'd be very surprised how a lot of these companies that you use for your own podcast, they don't have the content that they need. Um, if you're familiar with Squadcast, for example, how their YouTube creator got that position is that she was an independent creator and she noticed that she wasn't seeing them on YouTube. She had good editing skills. She was really good at it. So instead she reached out and said, hey, I would love to be able to create content for you guys on YouTube. Would you guys be interested in it? And they bit, and now she is their YouTube creator. And so it's sometimes thinking of the non-traditional route about it, of how can you incorporate this? One of my sponsors is a microphone company. Well, they sponsored all the microphones in my studio because of the fact that I told them, hey, in each episode that is recorded in this studio, your mics are going to be seen there. I will get a few clients to indicate that they'll put it in their show notes, that this is the mic they're using, a link to it. And they sent us free microphones, boom arms, and a few other elements. So it's important to think non-traditionally sometimes of like, what do I use who would I be interested in creating content for or being incorporated into my content? And it's not always, you know, um, I call it product placement. Companies will pay for if you're just like lifting a cup during one of your videos, because that's exposure for them. So I think we always think of 
um, more traditional routes of placing ads. But if you're doing video component, which I can already tell by the look of your background that you probably are, um, I would say, you know, incorporate that. Like the microphone stand um, boom arm that you're utilizing, you know, putting some form of a product um, in, in that back shelf area. Um, and that can switch out from episode to episode. That could be a small local business as well. So if you're able to see that you have I think for us, I, I did a video where it's like, oh, I was like, oh, wait, we have like 50 people who watch this video who are here in Atlanta. So I reached out to a company and said, hey, we have anywhere from like 50 to 60 people who watch my videos. Would you be interested in sponsoring? And they gave it to me for free. Sometimes I get things instead of asking for money that I know I need for the studio rather than you know, I'm like, okay, wait, this will cost me $400. Let me just ask you to send it to me. So it's thinking strategically in that manner. I think that's super helpful. Um, <laughs> what I, I was reading what Mitch just wrote. He just asked, do you have any thoughts on Hector's microphone stand? I'm thinking of copying his style. <laughs> <laughs> were you here? Were you here? I don't know. We were talking about the Nelk boys. So, so I, no, I, I was only uh, making fun about how, you know, they, they seem to now sit out there um, on their couches and hold it. Right. Because my, my mic stand, my boom um, is on the floor over there because my, uh, I, I was about to blame it on my kids. It was not my kids this time. It was me. <laughs> I lost I lost the piece. And thank you, Mitch, for making me uh, have to defend myself again. Um, I do have, I want to add on to that or a question to that. And this is probably just me getting in my head. My show is more personal base. It's kind of a lot of times really deep personal stories with a guest. And so part of me is, do you, I guess my question is, do you see more success with like the more business folked, uh, focused podcasts that have kind of a, it's kind of like a funnel to their business than maybe more storytelling, personal story podcasts? Yes and no. Um, and I know that's not the answer you want. Um, yes, in the sense of they make more money. Um, because of the fact that, like I tell people all the time, I didn't really want to start a podcast. I started one because my team told me I had to. Um, so the podcast trapper, yes, it's me sharing my experiences and everything else in between, but I haven't focused on sponsorship because it's really focused on kind of highlighting my knowledge, highlighting the studio and highlighting the work that we do. So just the crispness, the quality of the product that we are putting out as a team with all the bells and whistles and everything that goes into it, like for each one of my episodes, it's myself, a videographer, a photographer, a makeup artist. There's a whole production team. Well, off of just these episodes, we get a lot of clients. So on one end, you know, it's easier to monetize because of the fact that, you know, a client is probably going to give me much more money because they're signing a three-month contract and all these things than if I were, you know, kind of hitting the ground and reaching out to sponsors. So that's on one end. However, we do have clients who, um, on the personal story side, some of the things that I've seen that works really well is around journaling. So like one of our clients, she, her podcast is, it's, it's the animal that changed you. It's, it's much more on a personal side, but she works with like local shelters. Hers is talking about how, um, how an animal changed her life. Now, granted, I remember at first I was like, okay, this should be interesting, but she's been able to create partnerships with local shelters, um, highlight some of what they have going on. And each episode, she maybe gets anywhere from two to 300 downloads an episode, but these shelters are happy to, to kind of get that information out there. These fosters, um, I didn't know that there were so many private shelters. I thought, I don't know what I thought about shelters, if I'm being honest. Um, but in, in, in essence, she's able to work with these um, animal clinics. Um, another one of our clients, they're two veterinarians, but they're not trying to get like uh, clients to their business because of the fact that, you know, that's not really how they work. However, they work with a scrubs company who they basically just wear their scrubs each episode. Um, and they're really just talking about, you know, how to care for animals. Um, they're utilizing it as a resource to teach people, but also sharing their personal journeys. Like one of them has taught, like had an episode where he talks about how he quit his first vet job. And it's much more personal about their experiences. They're behind the scenes of how, when they first became veterinarians and what they found that works really well is a lot of early vet students listen so that this way they can understand 
the experience? Well, a local admissions university, we, we reached out to them as they were trying to um, diversify their admissions process. Um, so it's understanding like, yes, it might be personal stories, but who cares about the stories that you're telling and the audience that is listening to those type of stories? So it's finding out who cares about the information, not so much the information itself. Yeah, it just seems like there's so much room, you know, I think back to the, the patron and the, the artist, you know, model, right? And it's, and it's, in a, it's not the same, but, but in the same way, the, the businesses have a, have a need for creators and creators realistically have a need for businesses. I mean, unless they're going to fund it out of their own pockets, but that's not always fun. Mitch, Dave? I want to throw it out to you guys here. Do you guys uh, have any questions for uh, Rana here? No, I, I, I'm just uh, congratulations. Great job. I mean, it's just, you know, fantastic. Uh, do you uh, happen to know uh, a Miss Kalina Bowler who has a podcast called The Credits? Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's awesome. I don't know if she's still doing it, but I met her at Podcast Movement um, I don't know, 17 or 18 in Anaheim. And uh, she does, a, she's in Atlanta or Georgia. I mean, excuse my ignorance. I don't know all the states and all the cities, but she's down there and she, she does a podcast about behind the scenes in the film industry. So mm -hmm. she's interviewing all the people that nobody else interviews, the grips, the cameramen, and she did a whole bunch. So if you look it up, it's called The Credits. I don't know. And, and, and she, it ended up in Georgia public broadcasting. And she's a wonderful human being. And, you know, we spent a little time together in Anaheim. So she's a, you know, I just figured I'd throw that out there, you know, because she's in, in your area. But, uh, yeah, fantastic. Congratulations. I have no questions. I Everything you said makes sense, and I agree. I don't know what else to tell you. Hey, hey Anna, one, one, one thing that I'd like you to speak to is, is then is a lot of what you are suggesting is is, you know, really building a platform, right? It's not it's not a podcast. It's just a plot. It's, it's a platform. And I think that that goes beyond the show. Can you, how do you, do you think about, you know, how do you think you talked about media house? I'd love for you to just talk about your thoughts when it comes to, you know, a creator, not necessarily limiting themselves to one medium or even a podcaster, how they might start to look at themselves more as a, as a platform or as a brand, not just as a podcaster? Um, I think that's actually the important thing, you know, like out the gate and it's difficult because oftentimes when we start things, it's like, you know, I have this interest, it's this thing I want to talk about, but you have to like start it right, you know? And so that means a cohesive brand look because that's really how I've been able to build is that I always tell people I left my full-time job to create a production company in, oh God, when was that? February of 2021. And by October, I was opening a 1500 square foot studio. The reason that transition was so easy is because of the fact that people already trusted my brand that I had built with my podcast, my membership and all of these things because of the fact that it, it was cohesive. So in everything that we put out, whether it was the workshops, most people always think it was like, oh, these, no, no, no. I made sure that we went to conferences to meet the necessary people so that this way we could ask them if they were interested in doing a workshop for free. From that, people were able to learn things, then partnerships to where they're giving our members free access to these different conferences. So from all of these things, you're building this track record of where you're somebody to be trusted in your industry or field. So that this way, whatever you launch, it launches with ease. You know, I, I'd say the first brand was probably the hardest because of the fact that it was a lot of time, a lot of work that went into it. But launching the conference, for example, our first year, we had 800 people join virtually. Second year, 1,300 people join virtually. First in person, 400 plus people join over Memorial Day weekend while two other podcast conferences were taking place. The reason that this is able to happen is not like, oh, I've done any type of magic. It's I've consistently put out quality content and quality elements to where anything I put out from there, people immediately trust it. And so that's why I say I've never been of that mindset of just, just launch and get it out there. No, I don't believe in that because of the fact that the quality that you put out, the consistency, 
All of these things make a difference in how people view the brand that you're building. If we start looking at podcasts as an overarching brand and platform, you wouldn't trust a platform or a brand to give them money if they didn't look consistent, if they weren't showing up, if they weren't living up to the messages that they put out. It's the same thing with your podcast. Like think about the last time you shopped with a new company or a new brand. The reason you did it was because of something of value. If we start thinking of ourselves as content creators in that same capacity, then it's it's easier for us to kind of like get people to trust, get people to buy in. Um, so that's just the best way to describe it. Like even with our first in-person conference, did we spend a lot of our money and didn't really make money? 100% yes. However, because of that, we haven't had to really reach out to sponsors. Now sponsors are reaching out because they see the value and the quality of what we put out the first go around with very minimal sponsors. So it's really about making sure you put your best foot forward so that people can trust the brand that you're building. Mm. So good here. This is, this is fantastic. And um, I, can I ask a question selfishly? Yeah. So new creator, someone not just me, I'm not, well, I'm being selfish here, but also this I think could be helpful. When you're trying to work with your first brand, whether that's local or whatever, how did you determine uh, like a pricing or like, is there is there a guide, you know, like I have no concept of that. Is there something that people could, like a resource that people could look into or maybe you just made it up? So I actually listened to another podcast. So it was this podcast that I had been following for a long time. I really loved her content. Um, And she's like built her platform. I think she was recently inducted into the like Hall of Fame, Podcast Hall of Fame. It's called Side Hustle Pro. And she has this episode where she breaks down like how she first determined what she should be charging versus what she charges now that she's like at millions of downloads. Um, I definitely didn't go with the at millions of downloads part. I went with when she first started. Um, And that's honestly what I built from there was when she first started out, this is what she said she was doing. And I just kind of emulated that because of the fact that our platforms were kind of similar in that I had an email list. I had a social media and I had a podcast and those were the three. Oh, and the website placement. And those are the four things that she said that she put into her package. So I just used that information. Um, and then over time, I moved away from that. And as I started meeting people, I was getting on calls. So like for me, what I saw the biggest growth was going to podcast conferences. Now I tell people, if your podcast is not about podcasting, I would highly recommend you go like, so our clients who are real estate agents, they recently went to the National Real Estate Association something um, conference that they have. Finding a conference or some form of a meeting um, or a summit that is in your niche can take you very, very far because you are now meeting person fa- people face-to-face. And as much as we're in a digital world, people remember you better and they're more inclined to say, oh yeah, here's my email. And then immediately when I get home, sending that email and then getting on a call. And those calls typically I focus on, so what are some of you guys' goals in the next three, six months? And if you're familiar with my brand, what are things that I do well with my brand that you feel like you need help with? You'd be very surprised. Like that's how a lot of like the content stuff, like a lot of these smaller brands are not, they don't have the infrastructure in-house for that. Um, And so if that's something you're good at or figuring out like, what is it that they need? So I say first, I really just started off with listening to somebody else's podcast. And then I started recognizing when I physically went places and people met me and I got the opportunity to have the conversation, I was able to close those partnerships a lot quicker, a lot easier. Um, It wasn't a lot of guesswork because now I've seen you, you've gotten to meet me. We've talked now, you know, we've had a phone call. You've told me specifically what you need. And then I've either on my own try to figure it out or because I have a community would reach out to other podcasters in my community to say, Hey, this is not my strong suit. However, let me put you in contact with this person. And with our community, we do have a setup to where if I make the connection, I do get a percentage of whatever deal that is made. Cool. Mitch, you had a question, right? Yeah. To kind of follow up on that. And I 
feel as I was thinking about it, maybe a slippery slope, but do you, did you see any value early on in kind of like kind tit for tat kind of thing? Like, do you, you be my sponsor and then, you know, like I'll give you some sponsorship and then you put your QR, my QR code around your store, or I guess I could even be online too. Like, you know, Hey, listen to, listen to me on this podcast here, something like that. Or is that slippery and that you're giving away stuff for free early on? Mm. The only time we've done something of that nature is, uh, it was a t-shirt company actually. Um, and it was, it was very funny because like they, they, they often like release different t-shirts. So we actually did a partnership that was a podcast and chill type situation, um, a partnership and, I think we did it for international podcast day was the rollout that we did. Um, but I ended up instead of saying, Hey, since you want me to promote this to my audience, instead of it being a, you're just paying a sponsorship deal. I wanted a percentage of every t-shirt um, that was sold. And we also went as far as they did a QR code because they were planning on doing some type of QR code type situation on the shirt. And so we did a QR code and it did really, really well. Um, so we've done something like that before. And then it all depends. Like we just worked with a local, um, creative studio space. Um, and this is before I had a studio, we worked with a local creative studio space. And, um, whenever you did their QR code to get their, um, internet. So they had a QR code with their internet. It also had our podcast because our podcast is a how to podcast for podcasters. So it kind of worked really well because of the fact that you got the internet, but it also kind of gave you like, Hey, if you're booking the space, but you want to learn more about podcasting and how to do it on your own, there's this podcast. And that's done really well for us. Like we haven't released an episode and God knows how long and we still get about anywhere from a thousand to 2000 downloads a month. But that's mainly because we work with local um, podcast studios and content studios to where like, if somebody comes in and they want to utilize your space, direct them to this podcast because we literally like each episode is kind of like a mini training session. I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, thank you. Oh, this has been, my head was hurting. I'm like, well, we need to quickly replay this. This has been, been jam-packed. Um, is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you think is worth noting today? I'm very big on local. You'll notice that a lot of my growth is from just really partnering locally. Um, have a good one, Mitch. It was nice meeting you. Um, but for example, like as I was at the library today, because on Mondays, I typically try not to work in the studio. I just am like, oh, I'll go to a coffee shop, find a different place to go to. And so now that I know that the local library has a podcast studio, I'm immediately like, oh, I'm going to reach out to them to see if they're interested in one, having our podcast as a resource, but two, you know, setting up some form of a workshop. This exposes the audience like that is coming into the library to my platform, my brand. Um, and so I want more people to think of that. Like, who can you work with and be of value, but it also exposed to, to your audience. And it ex gives you that extra exposure that you may not have before. Um, I think our biggest sponsor has come from somebody who went to one of the co-working spaces that we partner with for them to like use our podcast as a resource. And they listened to the podcast, they loved it. Then they reached out and they're like, Hey, you know, I work with the city of Atlanta with X, Y, and Z. We are actually like giving X, Y, and Z amount of money for local Atlanta creatives. And I wouldn't have known about this fund that they were doing. I wouldn't have, you know, had access to this person, but because I've already built this long lasting relationship with a co-working space that this person goes into, they're now giving access. So I think sometimes we think of monetization and partnerships as in the immediate and not so much in the long term. Like what can this mean for your exposure long term? And I've had that relationship with that co-working space for at least like two and a half years. And somebody who randomly came in gave us $15,000. So, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's 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 he works for the city of Atlanta and he was like you know we have this creative fund um and you know at the end of the year they have to give away but so many and you're already doing the things that we're looking for are you interested and I remember being like and is this is this a scam I'm being scammed aren't I 
And so I literally called the Bowery Keys. I was like, do you know this person? He's like, yeah, he actually does work for Atlanta. And this is what he does. And I was like, oh, this is not a scam. Let me hurry up and respond to this email. So it's just those type of things. And, and that's the thing I want more creators to think about is what are those long-term partnerships that are really low-hanging fruit? Like once we set up the conversation and they put a QR code to listen to our podcast as a resource, there's not really anything else to do. Like we have to stop thinking about our podcast as like we have to constantly be doing things. Sometimes it's really passive. Just set it and forget it. So that's the big thing that I notice a lot of creators are not doing that I think needs to happen more. Yeah, it just really speaks to the the power that podcasters have. And I think that they're in a in a unique space as a as a creator, right? Whether it's, you know, and that stands apart from TikTokers or even YouTubers or Instagram influencers, right? Who all have their place in the creator economy, but so do podcasters and, and a really unique one as well. I'm going to hop in and honor your time here. And we're at a little over the hour and just say, thank you so much. It was a, it was a wonderful pleasure connecting with you. And um, I'm glad we're connected. I'm in, unfortunately on the other side of you and Dave, where we're, I'm in Southern California. And so we'll have to, uh, to find ways to, to merge these worlds and, uh, and bring everyone so. But no, thank you so much for having me, for um, reaching out. I, I love these type of moments just because of the fact that I can sometimes always be in like my own little bubble is the best way I describe it. Um, and so it's always nice to just like talk to other people because, you know, my friends don't really understand what I do. Um, so for them, it's just kind of like, oh, OK, that's nice. Anyway, um, so it does feel good to actually like, you know, speak to peers and people working in the space. Um, I tell people all the time I'm an open book. I'm a free resource. Feel free to reach out if you guys ever have any questions. Instagram is actually like my place. I'm trying to become familiar with Twitter, but I struggle. Um, but if ever you're like, hey, you know, um, I have this, like this idea, feel free to shoot me a DM. Um, I'm always happy to just be a, be of help. However I can. Um, I tell people all the time, that's how I really built all of these brands is other people willing to just help me. So I'm always willing to pay that forward. Where are you on Instagram? How do we find you on Instagram? Anna Ogogo. So O-N-A and then my last name, O-G-H-O-G-H-O. PodFam, I hope, well, I know you got some value out of that. Anna was dropping some heat, some serious value. If you guys want to come hang out with us on events like that, go to podcastama.com and find out all the info. Well, you can get on their mailing list and we'll send you all the info when we have events. And we'd love to see you out at our next one. Hope you all are having an amazing day. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.